Almighty God, we gather in this place this morning, and it is so beautiful, Lord, to stand among brothers and sisters in Christ and to hear these these songs, these words from our heart. 
Lord, rising to your ears. You do rule the world with truth and grace. Almighty God, we thank you for your love on this day. We thank you for the most amazing gift of your only begotten Son, Jesus. Jesus, we celebrate and worship you as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. We know that you deserve our praise from the cradle to the cross and then for all eternity. God, our hearts are full to be here with you and for you to be here with us. Jesus, you were and are Emmanuel. We praise you today in this season of Christmas and this season of Advent. We celebrate you, who you are, who you were, who you will always be. Hear our praise today. Be pleased with how we express ourselves through song from the depths of our heart. God, be pleased with how we worship. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you, church family. Be seated. Thank you so much for being in worship today. Um, What a powerful beginning to worship in this Advent season. I'm so thankful uh, to be here with you. I hope that you feel the same. If you're one of our guests today, we welcome you to First Baptist, and we celebrate that you're with us this morning. If you are a first-time guest, maybe a repeat guest, and you want us to reach out to you, you need to let us know more about you and your family, take one of those guest cards in front of you in the pew pocket. Fill that out, please. And, um, and let us know a little bit about yourself. You'll drop that in the giving receptacle out on the landing. Uh, we would sure appreciate that. You can also go online to fbccana.org, and you can do the same thing there by hitting the guest button. Uh, we are in our season of Advent. As you can see, we've already um, lit the hope candle last Sunday. Today we'll move forward as today our focus is upon love. If you would turn now and, and face the screens, um, let's watch this video connecting us with this Advent season.
love is real and love is indeed here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I am so thankful uh, that we have Mark and Tracy Jordan and Tracy's father Jim Hume to represent all of us today as they light the love candle. bow together in prayer. Father, we are thankful with every single candle that is lit in this Advent season, this season where we expect your coming, we long for your coming, that every candle glows with these these themes and thoughts. Lord, thank you last Sunday that we remember that no one is hopeless whose hope is in God. Lord, and today as this flame of love is lit in this congregation, we pray that your love would overflow from us to one another. Lord, fill our church with love and then overflow from our church and our community. Lord, let us be the light of love for Corsicana. We pray this in Jesus' name. continue our time of worship great song how deep the father's love for us let's sing this together how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond
celebration choir behind me will be uh, presenting the heart of Christmas, uh, a great cantata in the 11 o'clock service. We'll just have one service that day. So we really need you to help invite folks. We're going to do that 11 a.m. on Sunday and then on Monday evening for your friends that maybe go to the churches, family members that can come on Monday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, start spreading the word uh, to invite them. So we're going to do the opening number from uh, The Heart of Christmas. It's entitled Emmanuel.
How great is our God. But these are the Christmas lyrics that go with this great song. Beginning with the wonder of a babe. Let's sing together. Father, you are a great God, name above all names, worthy of our praise. 
Father, the wonder of a babe born the world to save is you, our Savior. Father, thank you for drawing us into your presence today and singing over us today. Father, we lift up our pastor to you as he brings the word today, Father, that you've put in his heart to share with us today. And Father, during this season, let us be a light for you that shines bright to a dark world around us. When we leave here today, may we go out rejoicing, being able to say that it's been good to be in your house with your people today. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be seated. It is an exciting and busy weekend in Corsicana, Texas, isn't it? So many things have gone on um, this weekend. They continue today. Maybe you were a part of the Jingle Bell Jog yesterday morning. Uh, maybe you snicker at me even suggesting you were a part of the Jingle Bell Jog uh, yesterday morning. That was a big deal in our community. Also, Corsicana hosted the Collegiate Bowl game, the Heritage Bowl. And if you got to be a part of that, you heard my voice over the intercom. That was a lot of fun to welcome those teams from out of town and those fan bases. That was a blast. And our second service, our special ministries will be lighting the love candle. We're excited about that. Um, also, we're going to welcome our good news clubs. If you don't know what good news clubs are, they're after school Bible clubs. We've been running a good news club here at FBC from Fannin Elementary for the last four weeks. And we're inviting those those families to come and join us at 11 o'clock, and so we're excited about that. But I guess the big news was the parade last night, right? Uh, that was the big news. Uh, you listen to those that were on the floats, and they said they saw thousands and thousands of people. I just saw thousands and thousands of children. They were wanting another piece of candy, and um, and so that was fun. But we had a beautiful um, float in the parade. If you were out there to see it, you know how gorgeous it was, and I want to give recognition to those in our church. Um, who are part of this parade. There are a lot of people, but I want to center on, on these people. Doak and Tish Hodgson um, led this effort um, beautifully. They, they built, they worked, they offered their shop and their barn and their home, and Doak stayed with it the whole time. Bobby Owsley joined him. Um, Kenny McCary, Mike McCary were a part of that effort. Um, um, Erica Eads um, was a part as well. And so we just celebrate all those people. Um, would you join me in thanking those that are in this room and those even that aren't. Great, great, great job. Now, it's really appropriate today that I talk about that parade because today, guess what? We're going to read about a parade. And so when I mention the word parade, I guess I ought to ask, what is it that you think of when you hear the word parade? And let me take it a, a personal step further today. What's your favorite parade? Uh, there are some people that would say, well, Pastor, I've never really seen another parade except for the Corsicana Christmas Lighted Parade, and that's my favorite. Other people will say, no, my favorite easily is the Rose Bowl Parade on New Year's Day. Um, others of us have been to see the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and, and we would say, hands down, that's my favorite. But I was curious to find out, what is the world's largest parade? 
And it wasn't what I thought. I thought it may have been the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's not it. I thought, well, it must be Mardi Gras. Maybe that's the biggest parade in the world, and that's not it. And then, and then I thought, well, maybe it's the festival in Rio. I thought that certainly was it. And I found out, according to Google, that was not correct as well. The world's largest parade takes place every year in Germany. It's the Hanover Schützenfest Parade. Now, Schützenfest, as it sounds, it means a festival of shooting. It's a marksman competition that's been held annually since the 16th century. The parade, check this, seven and a half miles long with over 10,000 participants. There are over 100 marching bands and over 1.5 million spectators. That's what I call a parade. Amen? It's amazing. Now, today we're going to be talking about a parade. Uh, We're continuing forward in our study of the Gospel of Mark. I kind of announced to you last Sunday, if you're coming on Sundays expecting this beautiful Christmas sermon series, that's not going to happen because we have so much momentum in the Gospel of Mark, I just don't want to break that. And so today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 11. You see, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, today we're going to be talking about a Passover party parade. Uh, when the Israelites, excuse me, when the Jewish people entered Jerusalem, they were there for Palm Sunday. And as they gathered for Palm Sunday, the roads leading to Jerusalem, they were filled with spectators watching the thousands of visitors who were coming to town. Every Jewish man and his family were expected to be there. Jesus was there as a result of that. But mark this down for yourself today. Jesus did not come to commemorate the Passover lamb. That's not why he came to Jerusalem, no friend. He entered Jerusalem to become the Passover lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Today we are in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Let's stand together as we dive into God's word today, as we honor the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading, as always, from the New International Version. Here's how it reads. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly." They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Verse 7. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Church family, my prayer today for us is this, that, that we would make the decision today to join Jesus's parade. God bless you. You may be seated. 
Now, as we get into this parade discussion this morning, I want you to know a little bit about the Romans. Uh, The Romans often conducted a census so they could collect the right amount of taxes. That sounds very familiar in our own world. And we know from the Roman records that Jerusalem had a population of about 20,000 people, so roughly the size of Corsicana. And during the Passover, many thousands of people flocked to Jerusalem. There is a historian named Flavius Josephus. He became a Roman sympathizer, but he wrote about these Passover crowds. And I thought I would just start off today by reading a little excerpt of something that he historically wrote. Here's what he wrote down. He said, he, this was to Cestius. He said, Cestius, the Roman governor of Palestine, attempted to impress Emperor Nero that the Passover was an important feast for the Jews. And to do this, he ordered the high priest to count the actual number of lambs that were sacrificed at Passover in the year A.D. 65. Cestius wrote the high, quoted the high priest as giving him a figure of 256,500 lambs that were offered for sacrifice. Now, that's the end of Josephus' writing, but I want you to think about that. 256,500 lambs. That's one lamb per family. So now, if you want to get the number of people who you, who were there, you bought probably multiply that by a factor of two or three. So it's possible in AD 65, there were 750,000 visitors who came to Jerusalem for Passover. That's about the population of Denver. So, so I want you to see the shift, right? We're talking about this population uprise from Corsicana to Denver in a matter of days. Friend, it's first Monday at Canton on steroids, right? Uh, Canton's population, if you know this little figure, is about 3,500, and sometimes it swells to about 100,000 during trade days. And so suffice it to say... The people were crowded into the city. The people were crowded onto all the land surrounding Jerusalem. There were many people who came for this Passover party parade. But what I want us to do in the midst of this crowd is I want you and I to gather around the disciples. And I want us to focus on what they were doing. I want us to focus on what they were learning, what we can learn today. I think there are four really important lessons from this Passover party parade. And here's the very first one. So simple is this, that Jesus shows the value of teamwork by sending two disciples. Now, now did you see what their job was? Their job was to go get a colt. How many people does it take... To go get a colt, a colt. Really only one, right? Sounds like an easy job for one man, but Jesus didn't send one man. Jesus sent two disciples. It's the same thing seemingly that he always did. He never sent them out alone. He always paired them up. And I think he sent them out in pairs for a practical reason. You see, one of the pair would be older and more experienced and could teach and mentor the younger one. And the same thing should apply in God's church today. When you go out with another disciple, you ought to have somebody that will hold you accountable, somebody that can teach you, and somebody that can encourage you. We see that pattern all throughout the Bible. 
The exact same thing happened with Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. We see the same thing in the beautiful words written by Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's remind ourselves of those. He said two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Friend, there is value in going out in pairs or going out as a team. So let me say this. If you're here today and you're a Christian... You ought to hear this. Every Christian should learn the value of teamwork. Every Christian should have a prayer partner or a ministry partner. Every Christian should seek out an older, wiser Christian and ask if they would mentor you. Every Christian ought to seek out also a younger, newer Christian and take them under your wing to disciple them. Jesus offers that to us in a very simple, distinct way at the start of the parade. He sent them out in twos. We have to learn the value of teamwork. Let's let's talk about a second lesson. Jesus also identifies himself as the Messiah by riding on this donkey. Now, let's be honest. This was a very unusual entrance for Jesus. You see, Jesus had been to Jerusalem on many occasions. This wasn't the first time. Sometimes we read this and we think, oh, Jesus is finally going to Jerusalem. No, friend, he had been there all of his life. There were three festivals a year every Jewish man was supposed to attend. Jesus had always gone into Jerusalem. However, when he had gone previously, he just slipped in quietly without drawing any attention to himself. But he knew this time was different. You see, this time was the time he would enter for the final earthly time. And Jesus chose this donkey intentionally. So let me ask you, why didn't Jesus... Ride into town on a mighty stallion. Why didn't he ride in on a mighty stallion? A stallion would have been a magnificent animal for him to mount. Large, beautiful eyes, flowing mane, shining coat, long, graceful legs. A donkey doesn't look like that. A donkey isn't a thoroughbred horse. No, a donkey's plain. A donkey is small. I hate to say it, a donkey is an ugly animal. You see, I don't know anybody who ever walked up to a donkey and said, Oh, how beautiful. Right? No, they have floppy ears that are too large. Sad eyes like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And, and when a donkey lets out a loud bray, it usually causes somebody to laugh or chuckle. In Jesus' day, horses were the Ferraris and donkeys were the Chevy Sonics. All right? So why did he ride a donkey? Well, friend, he chose a donkey on purpose. You see, Jesus was making a statement. He was fulfilling scripture about 500 years earlier. The prophet Zechariah predicted with these words. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on A donkey. Do you see how odd that would have come off? (laughs) Riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A real king arrived in great pomp and circumstance. And put yourself historically in the moment, three centuries earlier, Alexander the Great had ridden into Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem with so much fanfare. One picture shows him actually on a golden chariot 
pulled by an elephant. He spared the city, but only demanding that they pay him tribute for seven whole years. But Jesus didn't come in with an elephant. He didn't come in with a golden chariot. He didn't come in mounted on a mighty stallion. No, he entered the city riding on a lowly donkey. Friend, here's the reason. He was showing the city that he was not coming as a conquering king. He was coming as the prince of peace. Jesus teaches us the value of teamwork. He identifies for us who he always was when he rode in on a donkey in the parade. Next lesson. I see in this story that Jesus recognizes empty praise. Jesus recognizes empty praise. Do you remember several years ago I... For some reason, this is stuck in my mind. I read an article about it. The new king of Saudi Arabia, King Solomon, visited Washington, D.C. And when he came to D.C., this, this mighty mogul of the oil industry, right? He, he comes in this luxury jumbo jet and lands at Andrews Air Force Base. As he, as he lands and his jumbo jet comes to a halt, there are over 100 brand new Mercedes lined up to transport him and his entourage to the Four Seasons Hotel. And before he arrived, if that's not enough, the hotel had undergone a $13 million facelift in preparation for his visit. The king had booked all 222 rooms. There was so much red carpet rolled out that the manager said the king's feet would never touch concrete or asphalt. Friend, that's what the people were doing for Jesus. They were rolling out the red carpet because they believed that this guy was going to be the next great king. And what did they shout that day? We read it together. They said, Hosanna. Right. You know what that means? Save us now. And they shouted it all the more. Save us now. Hosanna. They expected Jesus to deliver them from the iron-fisted rule of the Romans. They believed this miracle worker could perform his biggest miracle ever and restore Israel to the greatness it enjoyed when King David sat on the throne. They were looking for a military king, an economic king, and they were celebrating this is the one who would finally make it happen. But I don't think Jesus was experiencing any of that joy. I don't think Jesus rode along with a handful of smarties with smiles on his face, waving and passing out candy to the crowd. Why wasn't Jesus celebrating? Because he knew the same people yelling, Hail him, would be screaming, Nail him, in just a few days. The same fickle people shouting, crown him, would be crying, crucify him, in just a couple of days. So now let's be very honest. 
And let's stop preaching and let's just go to kind of meddling a bit. Some people think they're honoring God. They can sing all the songs from memory. They can quote the Bible. They can stand and close their eyes and hold out their hands. And they can offer God all of this lip service. But God isn't honored because he recognizes emptiness. He doesn't want the outside. He wants the inside. He wants our heart. He wants us to express love for him from our heart. In my Bible, I don't know if your Bible says this, it always gets my attention. It says over the passage, triumphal entry. But folks, this wasn't the triumphal entry that many people call it. It was a tearful entry. Mark's gospel doesn't say it, but Luke's gospel does. It tells us in the middle of this Passover party parade, when everybody else was doing all of this victorious celebration, Jesus stopped on the road. He looked across the Kidron Valley. He looked onward into the city of Jerusalem. And I imagine when he stopped, the crowd got quiet and they wondered why the parade had screeched to a halt. And John tells us it was in that moment Jesus wept loudly over Jerusalem. And you know what he said? He said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Jesus recognizes empty praise. We have to be careful. A fourth lesson today. I like this one. This one is very pertinent for us today. Jesus came to change lives, not a political situation. That's what the Passover party parade teaches. Jesus came to change lives, not a political situation. Let's... Let's connect ourselves to some history to understand this. About 200 years before this moment we're reading about today, Judas Maccabees, named the Hammer, raised a Jewish army, and he led the successful rebellion to overthrow the Greeks and to reclaim Jerusalem. In 163 B.C., he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? No way. He rode in on a mighty stallion. The people lined the streets. They waved palm branches. Guess what they said? They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the temple was reconsecrated, and to this day, our Jewish friends celebrate a holiday to commemorate the victory. It's called, together, Hanukkah. It's called Hanukkah. Many of the Jews believe Judas Maccabees, Judas the Hammer, was the mighty Messiah. But three years later, Judas was killed in battle. He was buried, friend. He's still buried. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the Jews were looking for another military Messiah to deliver them this time from Rome. But Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to prove he wasn't a hammer. No, he was a redeemer. You see, a radical revolution kills other people for his cause, but a loving redeemer lays down his life so other people can live. And I think the crowd turned on Jesus because he didn't fulfill their expectations. He wasn't that real Messiah. They were still looking for a military hero. They were looking for a political figure to save them from this mess. But Jesus 
was just a suffering servant. He failed them politically. He was a king. He actually says that to Pilate. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Do we live in a political world? (laughs) You better believe we do. Our lives are surrounded by politics. We have some in this room who are involved in politics. And so I ask, have you ever wondered about the politics of Jesus? Does that matter? I mean, there were plenty of politics when Christ walked the earth. The Pharisees were the staunch ultra-conservatives who hated the Romans. The the Sadducees, those were the liberals. They got in bed with the Romans. The Essenes were the true independents who thought both the Pharisees and the Sadducees were of the devil. Jesus' enemies tried to get him to speak out against the Roman government. But best I can tell, Jesus refused to get involved in man's politics. That's because he was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, lest you misunderstand me, I think every follower of Christ should be engaged in the political process. I believe that with all my heart. We need believers to run for office. We need to vote for people who can restore morality into our culture. But we need to know that revival will not start in a Congress. It won't start in the White House, friend. It's going to start in the church house. Our salvation is not coming on Air Force One. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ alone who will return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Somebody say amen. So I have a personal application question that I want us to answer. And I want to go back to the parade. When Jesus comes to you, what are you willing to lay down before him as your king? Now, why do you ask that, Pastor? Because as I was reading the story again in preparation for today, I I just couldn't help but see that everybody was laying down something. Everybody's laying down something on this pathway of Jesus. Some people laid down palm branches. No sacrifice, really. They went and cut something off and laid it down and walked away. But other people laid down their their cloaks, their coats. Now, that's sacrifice. Because after they laid it down, it's probably not too useful, right, after the parade passed over. But Jesus doesn't want your palm branches. And to be honest, he doesn't even want your coats. He just wants your life. He wants, you, he wants to enter into your life every moment. He wants to be not your king for a day, but your king forever, every day. And he wants us to lay down the things that are keeping us from being fully his. So now we get down to the truth. What's keeping you from making Jesus your constant king? Is it pride? Lay that down before Jesus. Is it it fear? What would other people think? Lay that down before Jesus. Is Is it pain? 
Somebody in the church or something happened, it it caused me pain. I turned my back on God. I don't trust that anymore. Lay that down before Jesus. Is it apathy? I, I just don't care. Lay that down before him. You see, whatever it is that's keeping you from making him king, lay it down before him and never, ever pick it up again. The question really in this text is, will you make a commitment to honor Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords? You see, it's 